Welcome to the C3 Eastern Suburbs podcast. We're glad to have you tune in today and hope this message blesses you. If you'd like to visit, we meet in Glen Innes, Auckland on Sundays at 10am. You can also find us on www.c3easternsuburbs.org.nz. Enjoy the message. You know, our ministry is prophetic. Greta is highly prophetic and we partner in everything that we do. We co-teach, we minister together and we love that. Um, and while our ministry is prophetic and we do love prophesying over people, if, if we spend all our time doing that this morning, we'd possibly get around half of you, which would leave half of you out. So what we want to do is actually bring a prophetic word, a now word that we feel God is speaking um, through the message and uh, believe that that will hopefully touch all of you. So Greta's got something on her heart she wants to share and then I'll come back. So over to you, sweetheart. Right, thank you. Well, it's just wonderful to be here. And thank you for your warm welcome, Glenn and Priscilla. Um, David and I are going to speak to you today on hope. And I'll just share for a brief few minutes so we, we, we respect the time. The thing about hope is that there is always hope because it's eternal like faith and love. And our Heavenly Father... The Bible calls him the God of hope, and he eternally is the God of hope, and he has good plans for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, um, this is God speaking, this is God declaring, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that verse has been pivotal in my own life. Now, if I go way back to 1995, my first husband, Ron, and I were living in Cape Town, South Africa. And we were praying, Lord, where do you want us to geographically live on the planet? And after some time, he said this very clearly to me, go to New Zealand, I tell you, go. We didn't know a soul, no jobs, nothing. And he gave us Jeremiah 29, 11 as a scripture. And all of this was confirmed by a pastor, by others who didn't even know that we were praying about this. So just in obedience and faith, we moved to New Zealand with our two sons and stepped into the new plans that God had for us. And there's so much I could tell you, the amazing things that God did. But suffice to say... I can testify that God fulfilled Jeremiah 29, 11, because he is a good God. Then if we we fast track forward to 2008, um, we we were here living in Auckland all this time since we moved here, and Ron very suddenly collapsed and went to heaven. And, you know, at that time I felt as if my my whole world had fallen apart. And all I could do was cling and sing. I would cling to Jesus, my hope. And God gave me grace to keep singing every single day for many weeks that Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be Your Name. You know, often even when when there were tears falling down my my face, just to choose to praise Him in, in the midst of all of it. And then something remarkable happened about five months later. I was just in his presence. You know, you mentioned his presence. His presence is the most precious thing. And God just like that in a moment touched my heart and miraculously healed it of all the pain and the grief and made made my heart whole. 
And, you know, Ron and I, we've been married 28 years, which is a long time. Oh. And the very next day, he, he gave me details, in great detail, of his future plans for my life. And it involved David. And we hadn't at this point yet met. We just corresponded. And I can, um, we've been married 12 years now, and I can testify again that God fulfilled Jeremiah 29, 11, above and beyond I could ever ask or imagine. He is the most amazing father. And if I could encourage you, whatever your situation, keep, keep singing. No matter how you feel, keep clinging to Jesus and keep trusting Father and he will release you into the new plans of fresh hope just like he did for me. Because he loves every single one of us without measure. And you know, I really just feel that God is declaring over everyone in this room now, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. And you know, the thing is, it's the hope is not just for us personally. There is hope for our nation. We are very aware how bad things are looking in our nation. But God has a, a, a destiny and great purposes in store for New Zealand. These are incredibly significant times. God has earmarked this time for awakening and revival. Father is after the salvation of the nations. He's after the salvation of our own families too. And there is an urgency of time as well. We need to, God's calling his church to wake up. Um, and he calls us to co-partner with him in his purposes. Um, he desires hope to rise up actually in his global church so that we'll be full of hope to overflow, that it spills out into our communities. Um, he calls, you know, his church to be a light of hope, just like a light us in, in, in the darkness. Prophetically, we're in Isaiah 60 verses 1 to 3 days where, where there is darkness over many peoples in the earth. And for some time now, he's been urging his church, arise and shine, arise and shine. He wants hope to burn in us like a fire. Um, and across the earth, he is raising up a great army of spirit-filled firebrands of hope. You know, Jesus says to us, go be my witnesses, impart fresh hope to those in your world and to the nations of the world. And just in closing, on the 1st of January this year, I sensed Jesus say this to me, stand strong, hold fast, be resolute. Resolve to keep fighting in prayer for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in the earth. Stand strong in faith. And especially, hold fast to hope. Hebrews 6.19 has been strongly highlighted to me. And many of you will know it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor. And I feel that 2021, the anchor, is a symbol for us. I've had this repeated picture of this huge anchor. And if we can bring up that slide, there it is. Um, I tried to get the closest thing to 
what I was seeing in the spirit. This huge anchor with this massive thick chain we see on the next slide. Massive thick chain. We know an anchor keeps the ship steady and in place so it's not tossed about nor carried away by storms. And in these stormy uncertainties of a worldwide pandemic of fear, hopelessness and confusion, we can declare, I have this hope as a strong anchor for my soul. I have a strong chain of faith. Jesus alone is the hope of the world. And I love this prophecy that God himself prophesies about Jesus. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And I believe God will fulfill his wonderful word. Amen. Yeah. I love those pictures. You know, the world right now has been incredibly shaken. And uh, I took note, I think it was last year's budget at some point, uh, the government allocated $1.9 billion for mental health. What does that say? Now, there's reasons for that. You know, the more our nation moves away from our Judeo-Christian roots, the more the Western world moves from our Judeo-Christian roots, rejecting that, abandoning that, uh, the less protected we are. It's not like God says, oh, I'm going to judge you. He's always wanting to reach people. But we step outside his protection uh, by abandoning those principles, those laws. And so we, are, we, we just are open to anything hitting us, and particularly the next generation. Yeah. Are, a, are a generation today adrift in a sea of relativism. There are no absolutes, anything goes. Um, they're being bombarded with uh, what I call deception and lies on social media and media. And so consequently, more and more... Um, Hope is being robbed, and so I want to back on to Greta's word by talking about finding unshakable hope um, just before I do Harper. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> uh, um, I really feel these next few years, you're going to really understand God like you've never done before. Uh, I just believe there's going to come incredible revelation of who he is to you. And I see you walking in an amazing strength um, in the, all the days of your life because you know God. You know, Moses prayed, prayed, show me your ways that I might know you. And the other thing is you're going to really become very sensitive to the operation of the Holy Spirit in your life, to his voice, to the way that he works. And if I was you, I'd just read a few books on the Holy Spirit and, and mum and dad will point you in the right direction because uh, he, is, he is going to become a very real friend. In fact, you're going to get to the end of your life and say, my greatest friend was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And I just sense you're going to really know and be able to pass his presence and power on to others. So there's something going on there. You want to add something? Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll just now quickly just share a vision that I feel I have for your whole church. Um, and it's to do with I, what I sense is part of your mandate. I feel part of your mandate is Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 4. Um, and what... Um, what especially struck me, you know, it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me um, to proclaim good news Amen. to the poor, etc. 
and what, what this, the phrases that is especially leapt out at me is to proclaim freedom for the captives and release to the prisoners from the darkness. And it fits in with setting them free from the darkness of hopelessness that they will step into the, the freedom of, of the light of hope. And it goes on to say that um, these people that you um, have, you know, proclaim these things to, they will become oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and they will restore, rebuild, and renew. And what I saw, this is the picture I saw, this vision of this whole area. I saw a forest of oaks. And that's what you are called to do, to to co-partner with the Lord in, in raising up these mighty oaks in this area. Amen. One tree at a time. Yeah, one life at a time. Uh, you know, so there's a scripture that I believe is really appropriate for the church right now. It's Romans 15, 13. And uh, Paul is praying this blessing to the Corinthian church. And it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's be honest, this last 12, 15 months has been a really difficult time. And a lot of people have been down, including Christians. A lot of us have been affected by COVID. There's been negative consequences of lockdowns, financial and, and, and you know, emotional, etc., etc. And if ever there was a time that you and I needed to overflow with hope, it's right now. And uh, you, you don't do it by positive thinking or hearing a pep talk. It says it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to minister again to His church. That even in the midst of this darkness, and even in the midst of everything that's been happening in the world today, we could rise up and begin to overflow with hope because I tell you what, that'll be like light in the darkness. When you turn up at work, when you turn up in your neighborhoods and families, you're going through the same things as them. But you know the Lord. You know He's coming back. You know you're going to be raised from the dead. You're going to rule and reign with Him forever. And while we might be distressed in our current circumstances, our long-term hope is incredible. We should radiate hope to others that have none. Just the, the youth suicide rate in New Zealand. We've got one of the highest in the world. What does that tell you? Hopelessness yeah. and despair is a very real sickness. You say, well, what is hope? Because, you know, we use the word pretty weakly. We say, well, I hope it doesn't rain when we have our bash over in the town screw in a couple of weeks. I hope uh, I hope I get the job I had the interview for, for. I hope I get the place in the university that I've applied for. Uh, it's kind of like wishful thinking. But biblical hope actually is very much stronger when you study out the Greek and Hebrew words of the original Bible and coming up on the screen. Uh, biblical hope is a confident and patient expectation of good. Amen. It's confident that good is going to come at some point in the future. And because it's so confident, it will patiently wait for it. I think our problem so often, hope, is dashed because we have this wrong expectation that the promises of God or uh, prayers that we've prayed will be just answered like that, that like God is a drive-through service and we put in our order at the electronic uh, box called prayer and we drive around and we 
take the answer from the window, but how many know God can cause you to wait years for answers to come? And we have to have that patient expectation of good. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, hope decreases in direct proportion to our loss of understanding of God's goodness. You know, when you go through difficult times, one of the things the devil will do is cause you to doubt the goodness of God. Why is a good God letting that happen to you? Why is a good God allowing all the stuff in the world? And that's in a whole other message. Why do bad things happen to good people? Which I haven't got time to touch on today, but there are answers. And many are losing hope today in the world, including many Christians. Greta and I uh, have the privilege of these last 12 years traveling to hundreds of churches in New Zealand and overseas. We meet, we meet lots of Christians. We sit with lots of leaders. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of disappointed Christians out there. Christians living in disappointment. You say, well, why is that? Well, maybe they had a prophetic word spoken over their lives. Hasn't happened. Maybe they prayed a prayer in their desperation and seemingly God hasn't answered that prayer. Maybe they had a dream way back and now years have rolled by and the dream hasn't been fulfilled. Maybe they had high expectations of a blessed life, but really all they've known is bitterness and sorrow. Stuff happening. And it's easy to become disappointed. And if we stay in disappointment, it turns to disillusionment. Or it's hard to see hope in anything. And if you stay in disillusionment, it turns to cynicism. And when you become cynical, you go, oh yeah. Prayer works, oh yeah, tried that. Tithing works, giving to the Lord works, we reap, oh yeah, tried that. Doesn't work for me. Oh, healing works, does it? Well, I've been prayed for lots and haven't been healed. And a cynicism creeps in that begins to crush hope, yeah. shut it out. Yeah. And I think often the, this thing of disappointment creeps in because we misunderstand the ways that God uses to create hope in His kids. Now, there's a couple of obvious ways. One is the scriptures. If you're strong in reading the word of God, you're going to be strong in hope. If you're weak in reading the scriptures, you'll be weak in hope. Because it's they that bring hope. And I'm told we have a biblically illiterate generation today where people can't be bothered reading their Bibles. But if we want to be strong in hope and minister that to the world, we have to get back into the word of God. Another, another way that God uses to produce hope is genuine prophecy. There's a lot of weird prophecy around, a lot of fake prophecy around, but when it's genuine, when it's a word from heaven spoken into your life, then that can produce hope. But you know what the major way God uses to produce hope? This is his major way. Suffering. So we've come all the way from botany downs today to just let you have that share that good news with you. So if you want your money back, your tithe back, just see Glenn and Priscilla at the end and I'm sure they'll give you a refund. But listen, this is true. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says suffering produces perseverance, or it should do. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. That's what it says. When you allow when you hang in in the midst of trouble and suffering, holding on to God, 
holding on to his goodness when everything is screaming the opposite. So, well, I'm going to trust you even though I feel the opposite, Lord. When you hold on and persevere, the character of Christ is formed within you. When you become more like Jesus, you fall more in love with him. You long more for the day of his return. It's like hope just begins to spring up. You recognize this life is not all about your son, this life is not all it. And you've been through some terrible times in your upbringing and your growing up in your child. But look, here you are today. You're in Christ. You're saved. Your sins are washed. You're a new creation. Maybe everything's not new now, but all things are becoming new. And finally, one day, you'll step over into heaven and you'll be a perfected person. That's the truth. That's hope. I love the way that God puts the same thought in the Old Testament. He speaks through the prophet Hosea. Hosea 2.15 says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Not a great script. That's a life scripture for greater and me. I will transform the gate, the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Listen, all of us get into valleys of trouble at different times in our lives. And, you know, if you're not there now in one, cheer up, it's coming. You know, you know life, will, life will not leave you. At some point, you'll find yourself in a valley of trouble. And maybe through your lifetime, there'll be a number of such valleys. Brought on you by circumstances, by health, by world conditions. Like, goodness me, what a valley of trouble COVID's caused. What a valley of trouble COVID's caused. To governments, to health authorities, to people everywhere. But, you know, God says, I am the God that transforms valleys of trouble into gates. Sir, you've got your arms folded. That's what he's going to do for you. You listen over the rest of this thing because there's keys that he's going to give you. This is what's going to happen as you step out of the valley of trouble. There's a doorway of hope into a better future waiting for you. And I haven't got time to share all the keys this morning that would allow us to see valleys of trouble transformed into gateways of hope. But I did write a book about it. So that's a, that's a pretty good sell right there. Are you impressed for that? That was a clever point to bring that in. Okay. Uh, so uh, how to find the gateway to a better future. So I talk about the keys that would allow you to rediscover hope. You know, shake off disappointment, see valleys of trouble transformed, and it's a lot of our stories. So that's available out in the foyer. I'd love to give that one away. Anyone like a free copy? Don't all rush me at once. I'll give it to you since I did prophesy over you. Here, incoming. Bless you, my friend. All right. You know, that is um, my life story. Some of you know the story. My first wife, Jane, and I, um, we were married really young, and... Um, and when we were married, she told me she had multiple sclerosis, which is a horrible neurological disease. But she was in remission, and, and we got married. And soon after we married, a couple of months after marriage, I had this vivid dream uh, one day. And in this dream, I saw my wife and I traveling to the nations of the world, preaching the word of God. Some nations were open, some were shut. And I got excited about that as a young fellow. I thought, gosh... This must be the next Billy Graham in the making here, right here, right here. You know, you know what? God is an expert at killing ambition and pride in his kids. The way he does it, he just makes you wait forever until you finally don't want the thing that you were believing for. And 
so that was cool. I got excited and we, we planted a church in Picton, just north of Blenheim. And, and, you know, we got on with things. But about six years into our marriage, the disease kicked in. And unfortunately, Jane had the worst kind of MS. There's different types. She had chronic progressive. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't remit until finally she, uh, uh, she was confined to a wheelchair. And she spent the last 21 years of her life in a wheelchair. And at, and at one point it got so bad she couldn't do anything for herself. She couldn't feed herself, clothe herself, bathe herself. So I resigned from a position in a church on staff and here in Auckland to be her caregiver, which I did for the next 16 years, which was tough for her in a wheelchair and tough for me uh, having that assignment. And a number of years into it, in the midst of weariness and and this dream started to come back and I thought what a mockery I mean man did I make that up Lord but it kept coming to me it wouldn't go away and I said Lord take this thing from me I, 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 I don't know if I made it up but if it's you then the only way it can be fulfilled if you heal Jane and so for years I prayed for healing and it seems like the more I prayed the worse she got until one day I said to the Lord, I quoted scripture to him, uh, Proverbs 13, 12. I said, Lord, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's how I feel. He said, well, son, you've forgotten the second part of the proverb. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. He said, I'm going to change the season over your life. You've been in a season of hope deferred. You're now going to come into a season of desire fulfilled. And I interpreted that to mean he would heal Jane. See, in the prophetic... There's revelation, but there's also interpretation, and then there's application. And we have a revelation from God. We actually have to ask Him also, what does that mean? What's the real interpretation? Because when you get that, you can make a good application. That's why many people go astray. They get a prophetic word, misinterpret it like I did. Okay, you're going to heal Jane. And I prayed and prayed. She got worse. And then finally... In 2007, the disease affected her breathing, her swallowing, and she caught pneumonia, and she passed away. And I was heartbroken. And that dream just lay tattered. My wife was gone. Um, and uh, I, I just thought, wow, Lord. But you know what I said to the Lord? I said, Lord, I don't understand why she didn't get healed. You know, so many people prayed and believed. Yeah. I don't understand. But Lord, I, I guess one day you'll explain that to me. And you give and you take away. I'm going to bless your name. Yeah. You know, Paul says, now we know in part. One day we'll know fully. And the gap between knowing in part now and knowing in full then is called mystery. And part of Christian maturity is having to learn to live with mystery. Yeah. Stuff happens you don't have an answer for. You ask a why and it's okay to ask why. But you may not get an answer back till you get to heaven. And I feel like one of the highest forms of faith is to keep loving Him, trusting Him, even when your why never gets answered. Yeah. Even when that thing happens that you, you just don't know why it happened. I tell you, one of the things that, that I committed to do was to keep praying for the sick. And, you know, Greta and I have run seminars in many places, and we can report hundreds and hundreds of people have been healed. 
And you know what? 95% of the healings have been through people praying as we've taught them how to pray. We don't pray for many ourselves. We release the body of Christ because I was determined not to allow my loss to shape my theology. I know why I'm saying this. To shape my theology on healing. My theology on healing must come from the Word of God, not my circumstances of loss. He is the healer. Amen. So we had Jane's funeral, it was a huge funeral, and, and then after a funeral everybody goes back to their lives, but you're left with your new reality, and for me it was intense darkness and loss. In fact, a week after the funeral was like one of the darkest moments of my life, and I said, Lord, I don't know how to get through this, you have got to help me. And within a minute of praying that prayer, my cell phone beeped, it was a text message, not from God, but a friend, and... Uh, I knew his wife had been having an operation that day, and so, and I've been praying for her. My friend says, uh, she's come through the op okay, she's seen Jane. So I phone her, what do you mean she's seen Jane? Jane's been dead 12 days. See, well, she claims that under the anesthetic, her spirit went into heaven, and I got to talk to her. I said, well, okay, you say your spirit went into heaven, what did you see? And uh, she said, well, I expected to see someone important like Jesus or Paul or Moses, but I saw Jane. It's like she got shortchanged or something. <laughs> I said, well, what did Jane look like? And she said, well, she was standing up. She hadn't stood for 21 years. She had her hands raised up praising God. Uh, she hadn't been able to do that for 16 or 17 years. She looked young again. She was 56 when she passed away. She looked in the she had long hair. She had short hair when she died. And she was praising God. And then she saw me and smiled and walked over to me. And she said with such incredible love, unlike any love I've ever felt on earth, I'm home. I'm home. And she said it told me that heaven is a place of perfected love. Incredible, incredible love. And when she shared that vision with me, the doorway of hope in my valley of trouble and the shadow of death creaked open a little and a bit of light came flooding in. And then scriptures that I've read many times suddenly became so real. Philippians 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Jesus is better by far. To, uh, you know, uh, Hebrews 12, 23, when you come to heaven, you come to the spirits of redeemed people made perfect. I said, wow, Jane's gained. She's better by far. She's now a perfected spirit in heaven. And I made a decision. I, I, and, you know, you still allow yourself to grieve, but I made a decision to not so much focus on my loss, but more celebrate her gain. And when I made that switch around, healing began to happen. God graciously gave me some visions of heaven myself because I pestered the life out of the Lord. I said, Lord, I want these visions. I'm just my Scottish friend. I want some too. And he gave me some visions of heaven. and I just, It just brought healing by about five months or so. My heart was completely healed. And if you've lost a loved one, you know that's supernatural. It can take years to navigate grief. To the point I took off my wedding ring and said, Lord, I'm open to be re being remarried. And uh, sometime later, I was reading in the Bible in Genesis about the story of how Jacob meets his future wife, Rachel. And the version of the Bible I was reading, it just describes Rachel. It says she was beautiful in every way with a lovely face and a shapely figure. Man, I read that. I said, I want one. <laughs> I want a Rachel. 
And I put my order in for a Rachel. And then a few weeks later, I was getting into bed one night and I had this vivid vision of a woman come to me. I saw her facial features, her hair color, what she was wearing, her stature. Came to me three times in the night. thought, is this my future wife? And I just, you know how you park something, you just ponder it, you don't act on it, you just ponder it. My church was so gracious, they took an offering to send me on a recuperative holiday. They raised so much money that that myself and my youngest son, we could do a world trip and go back to England where Jane came from. And That was an incredible time of healing and closure. But as the plane is coming back into Auckland from that overseas trip, as it's about to touch down, I remind the Lord, I said, Lord, you said I was going to come into a season of desire fulfilled. So when this plane touches down, that season is starting. And I said, Lord, part of it is meeting someone else. But I don't want to go hunting. You're going to have to bring it to me. Well, about five days later, I go to our Bible college to do a lecture. And the dean of students comes up and says, I'm sorry. I said, what have you done? He said, well, I got this letter. It came for you three months ago. got lost in my files. Here it is. So I did the lecture and I was intrigued. So I went out to the car and I opened up the letter. It was from Greta and we'd never met. And how it had come to pass is that I, a couple of months or a few months after Jane preached, I preached my first message, passed away, I preached my first message. And I called it Blessed Be Your Name because that Matt Redman song had been very real to me. You know, I'll bless you when it's good and it's bad. And, and he wrote that out of the, the death of one of his children. And, and so it really was appropriate. Had it sung at Jane's funeral. And I sent it to my eldest boy in Australia, and he said, Dad, we should put that message on your website. I said, no, it's too personal. He said, Dad, we should put it on. I said, well, let's change the title, son. No, Dad, leave it as it is. You know you're getting older when your kids boss you around. And here's a little tip. When you get 50 plus, just be obedient to your children, all right? Just, just do everything. Just do every. Jake's looking across there. Yeah, good on you, Jake. This is a word for you, son. Uh, be obedient to your children, 50 plus, And then, you know, when you're really old, like in your 80s, they'll look after you. So there's a little tip. Okay, kids, don't take that too far. So we stuck this thing on the website. Greta's a physiotherapist on the other side of Auckland. She has a client going to the church. I was part of it at the time. She didn't know anything about it. She just did a Google search to find it. And she saw that message on the website of the church called Blessed Be Your Name. That song was real to her. She had it sung at Ron's funeral. She said, I've got to look at that. And she looked at the message I preached. I'd like to say she was blown away by my good looks and wrote me a letter. But she actually said, I thought you looked strange because I am Lebanese. And uh, I'm just about healed from that now. Although I have moments still where I need a touch of the Lord. To... No, just kidding. <laughs> Anyway, she wrote this letter. It was such a heartfelt letter sharing that, hey, what I shared, God had been speaking the same thing to her and, and it was just such a lovely letter. I felt bad that, you know, it was three months. But you know what? God's amazing. If I got the letter when she sent it, neither of us would have been ready for what would happen next. Because in that three months, God supernaturally healed both our hearts. So I just emailed back, said, how are you doing? And we just started corresponding and sharing emails. And I knew something was happening about a week into this because the first thing I'd do when I'd wake up in the morning is rush to the computer and power it up to see if I've got mail from a woman I'd never met. I was thinking of that Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie, You've Got Mail. Just, oh no, is this happening to me? And, uh, and, you know, I just started falling for her. And, um, 
and God began to speak to us both. Um, and then I boldly said to her one day in an email, I said, look, you've seen Jane and me, my photo on our website, and you can connect. I, I haven't, uh, I can't, it's hard for me to relate to you and Ron because I've never seen a photo. Would you mind sending a photo of yourselves? I didn't care what Ron looked like. I wanted to check her out. You've got to be a bit cunning, don't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, just those that are young, just we'll give you some tips later. And uh, so she sends the photo, and when I click it open, she's the woman in the vision. I go, Lord, you're pretty serious about this. And so we met soon after, and we began to share everything that God had been saying to us about calling us together. And I think it was um, it was about five months after receiving the letter that we were married. That was really fast. I'd like to say to the young people, don't try that at home, please. Uh, go, go slower. Meet lots of friends. And, but we had good marriages uh, that had endured through trial and difficulty. And I think God was trusting us, fast-tracking something. Because two months after we were married, we stepped out into full-time itinerant ministry together. And now my wife and I are travelling to the nations of the world, preaching the word of God. It took over 30 years. It took over 30 years for that dream to be fulfilled. You know, when I got it, I couldn't conceive of my wife being anyone else but Jane. But God knew. And maybe you've got a prophetic word. And maybe you've tried to work out the detail of it. And let me tell you, God is a God of surprises. And now we are living in the fulfillment of that. And one day we look forward to going to heaven and, and joining Jane and Ron and the four of us being together. And I'm mighty glad there's no marriage in heaven because it would be a bit confusing otherwise, wouldn't it? Like, who am I married to up there? And whatever. But there's no marriage in heaven because there's only one marriage, isn't there? Jesus and the bride of Christ. I'll close this off now with a scripture in Zechariah 9.12. It says, Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I love what the New Living says. He says, I will repay you two mercies for each of your woes. See, when you go through the valley of the trouble, of trouble, maybe it gets so intense, it's the valley of the shadow of death. When you suffer loss, when you pass through valleys, which will be part of life, and you hold on to God. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil wife, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you hold on to God, when you say, Lord, I believe your presence is with me in this valley, even though I may not feel it, even though I may be in pain, I'm going to hold on and trust you. What will he do? He will bring you out on the other side of the valley. Read Psalm 23. See what's on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. It's incredible. What's on the other side of the valley of trouble is a gateway of hope into a better future. Greta and I just travel all over the world. We can look any congregation in the face and talk about suffering. Why? Because they sense that we've been through it. You can't preach on something you haven't lived. It's theory otherwise. And people identify. By the way, we've seen two women healed of multiple sclerosis in England. And we didn't even pray for them. We just taught people how to do it. That God miraculously healed. That's two mercies right there. I said, Lord, when Jane died, I want to see people healed of MS. There's two mercies. 
I've got a double portion wife. She is so fit. She runs. She goes. She dragged me for a 30-minute run when we were newly married. Maybe it was 40 minutes, uh, 45 minutes up the steepest hill near where we live. I didn't know what had hit me. I thought, wow. I did ask for a healthy wife, Lord, but wow. <laughs> you really, you really, uh, you know, you really deliver. And so, uh, but hey, the point of this is there's a fortress called hope. And you and I need to run into it and let hope take us captive. Because when you get outside the fortress called hope, you're open to the barrage of disappointment, disillusionment and cynicism that the enemy loves to fire at us. We just began to shut down a bit. God wants us to live in hope. Because there's people out there, and you will know many in your world, what they need is they need hope. And we need to boldly tell them that he's coming back. He has died in their place. He wants to give them a new life. He wants to give them hope. And we're going to pray into that in just a moment. But I just want to talk to you for a moment. If perhaps you've come to this meeting today, and you don't yet know God, you don't yet yet know this Lord Jesus who is the author of hope and I'd just love to give an opportunity for anyone here you may not yet know the Lord or you might have known him once but you walk right away from God John 1.12 says this as many that believe in Jesus who receive him he gives them power to become children of God and if you would love to receive the Lord Jesus or come back to him this morning I'm just going to, I'd love to pray with you. Could we all close our eyes to help us concentrate? And uh, if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus today, ask him to forgive you for your sins. Because our sin is the barrier between us and God. But when we ask him to forgive, he forgives us, puts hope into us. Or maybe you once walked away from God. If you need to give your life to Jesus or come back to him, right where you're sitting, would you just quickly raise your hand in the air? And I'll spot it and you'll be able to put it down. Thank you, young man. God bless you. And over there, sir, thank you. And, and, and another young person on the floor back there. Anyone else, just lift it up high and just raise your hand right now. You're coming back to him or you're coming to him for the first time. Just raise it up. Okay, I don't see anyone else. Um, we all like to stand right now. And we're going to pray a simple prayer together. Those three people that raised your hands. Would you follow me in this prayer? And we'll get the whole church to pray it as well along with you. And so here we go. Make it, make it a really meaningful prayer. Pray it from your heart and God who's listening, he will hear. So pray after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me today for all my sins. I'm sorry, Lord. And I turn from them. And I turn to you. I believe you died on a cross for me. And you rose again from the dead. So now, Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart. And I receive you. And I give my life to you. Give me power to live for you for the rest of my days. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, you really meant it. That's exactly what God has done. Now, listen, you're halfway there. Okay, those three people, right? You're halfway there. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So what you need to do now, uh, as the meeting is dismissed, 
you need to tell one of the leaders here. That was me. I prayed that prayer. So could you come and see Pastor Glenn and Priscilla? Um, perhaps, um, I don't know if you've got other leaders, but um, there's only three of you. So come and tell them, hey, that was me. I prayed the prayer. Whether you're doing it for the first time or coming back to the Lord, um, tell them and then that will seal it, okay? So God bless you. Charles Spurgeon, he was a great uh, Baptist preacher, lived in Victorian England. And he said this. He said, Faith walks up the stairs that love built and looks out the windows, the window that hope opened. Faith walks up the stairs that love built and it looks out the window that hope opened. As I was praying into this meeting, I felt like there's a bunch of you today, you're still down the bottom of the staircase. God has built the stairway of love. Yeah, you love him, you know him, but somehow disappointment, etc. has caused you to come down the stairway and you're at the bottom. In his love, he's built that stairway through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's always, there's been there 2,000 years. Because Jesus built it. But what the enemy loves to do is keep us camped at the bottom of the stairs. And for a number of us today, it's like we need to walk up the stairway again. And we need to unbar the windows. I see, I saw windows that were shuttered over and barred by disappointment, by discouragement, by unanswered prayer. You've not been willing to look out and hope again because you didn't want to get disappointed again. Didn't want to be hurt with that again. But I believe the Holy Spirit is saying there are many here today you need to take a walk up the stairs and you need to say, God, I'm going to open that window of hope. Yeah, you, sir. Yeah. You're going to see things like you've never seen before. I'm going to look out that window of hope and God's going to show me things. If God could redeem my situation, which is a pretty dark situation, He can do it for you. Two mercies for every word. And I believe as a church, this is what you're mandated to do. You're here to help people walk up the stairway of His grace and of His love. You're here to help open windows of hope for people that don't yet know Him. That they can see something of God's purposes for their lives. And begin to walk in it. And so, um, I'm going to open up the front of the church before I hand back to Pastor Glenn in just a few minutes. And we're going to make just the floor here, we're going to make it the stairway, the aisles, we're going to make it the stairway today. And uh, every so often, I've got to take that walk myself and say, Lord, I, I just let, I've let something shutter the window. And I want to keep looking through.